I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hello and welcome back to this, the 120th episode of Hello Steve-O Podcast. How did we get here? 120. If you're new to the show, you're very welcome to this podcast that is full of life stories, social commentary, and of course there is plenty of laughs. laughs. We have, there's everything from amazing interviews, for example, I recommend episode number one, where I talk to the actor, traveler, activist, writer, and director John Connors, to having funny friends on talking about anything from dating to mental health to even ultra marathons. We cover a lot here on the show. You can dip into any one of the 120 episodes and there's plenty to keep you entertained. It's not episodic. You don't have to listen to it in order. Do not worry about that. Thank you all for your lovely messages about last week's show, which was recorded in New York City with the wonderful Katie Boyle. If you haven't listened yet, check it out. Thanks to Katie for having me over on her show at the New York City Comedy Club as part of the New York Comedy Festival. And I very much do look forward to returning. And if you're listening from the audiences there, thank you so much. Lovely to meet you. And you guys were great. So I would love to see you all again. To all the regular listeners, thank you so much for your continued support. And I appreciate those who support when they can. And if you would like to support the podcast and keep it going, please do by clicking on the link in the description to this podcast. And you can support me for only the price of a coffee. The Acast ads that you're hearing are just a way to keep the pod online for free. So they advertise and they host my podcast for free. The revenue I get from that is zero at the moment. So... I would love it if you can support me via the buy a coffee option or you can just share on your social medias or or tell a friend about it or give the podcast a five star rating and that would help to get more people on board. I would really appreciate that. People on the mailing list, you already have been snapping up the tickets to my 2023 tour, Stephen Mullen Ouch, my newest comedy hour. Um, and if you want to be first to hear about um, where the tickets have gone on sale, around Ireland only at the moment, all you have to do is sign up to the mailing list on www.thestephenmullen.com and you will know about those tickets before anyone else does. For example, the Dublin date is now on sale. And uh, I will be giving people news about that very uh, shortly. I'll be sending out a mail very shortly about that. So Dublin uh, um, 
tickets will be going on sale uh, very soon, so I will be telling you about that. If you want to keep up to date on the general club gigs that I will be doing, you can keep an eye out on my Instagram. Uh, my Instagram is at the Stephen Mullen. Uh, this weekend, I am going to be in Wexford, uh, opening for Garrod Farrelly, I think in the Wexford Opera House, so it'll be ex- exciting to be going back there. And then tomorrow night on Saturday, I'll be in the Hawkswell Theatre in Sligo. But you will see me opening for lots of different people in Ireland, from Des Bishop to Deirdre O'Kane to Garrod Farley and to very shortly in December the one and only Joanne McNally so there you go Uh, on today's episode I'm going to talk you through my time in the city that never sleeps it was a very special week so here we go let's do this Yes, you are very welcome back to this episode of Hello Steve O Podcast, ladies and gentlemen. Delighted to be back here, and I am delighted to be back in Ireland. As I said, thank you so much for all the messages that I got. It was a very, very special week that I had in New York, and I haven't really had time to, even for myself, to kind of, how do you say it, to process? Is that what they say? To process or to um, just to really think of it. I suppose sometimes when we're... the way we are in life, we kind of just be running around and we never get to kind of appreciate the moment, I suppose. Is that what we're saying? Um, And in hindsight, I mean, the little bits that I have managed to process, I will say that it was a very, very special week. Now, I am going to be honest with you. And the first thing that I wanted to talk about is, am I the only one like this? I do remember being like this when I was a kid uh, about going on holidays. But I'm going to be very honest with everybody because on Instagram... We can make things look very amazing. And I mean, like, no, you don't put the shit stuff on Instagram, which maybe I'm going to start, you know, putting a, you know, uh, you know, starting a campaign about that. Let's put the shit stuff on Instagram. Let's put that up. Let's be more real, you know. But I'm being very honest with you guys listening here. The night before, I'm very, geez, I can't believe I'm going to say this. The night before I went to New York, I was having... um. Lots of friends like knew that I was coming up, that I was going to New York. Pardon me, I got the, the burpees. Um, I had friends over in New York or from New York that were excited for me to be going to New York. And I kept getting these messages going, are you excited? Are you excited? Are you excited? And I wasn't engaging with that comment for whatever reason. And I wasn't being honest to myself. And the Saturday night before I flew, I did very well. Uh, that day, I got organized. I actually made a to-do list. I'll talk about all that stuff later. I got so organized, I was very proud of myself. But the night before, the Saturday night before I left, being very honest with you, I sat on my couch in my living room and I bawled my eyes out. Yeah. Now, there was something going on there for me that I wasn't engaging with, right? And I did get to a point where I was like, I had kind of finished the packing. I put my daughter to bed. I went downstairs and I could feel, I could feel the emotion, the frog in my throat. And it was coming up and it was coming up. And do you know what I did? Because I've been learning this in, I'm not going to go into my therapy, but I've been learning this very recently and it's been very hard to do, is to not deny the emotion. It's there, so let it out. I was there with my therapist, I had my therapist's voice in my head saying, you have a lot of emotion there. Sit with it. Sit with it. Don't deny it. 
right? Which is very un-Irish, by the way. If you're not from Ireland, you will understand that we've been taught kind of subconsciously. I mean, it's not written anywhere or anything like that, but it's an unwritten rule in this country. If you have a motion, get a shovel, fucking bury it, and put it down and cover that shit up. Now, maybe it might be the Latino side of me that uh, makes me um, more expressive. But having said that, I'm still a person that buries the emotion, like, all the time without realizing it. And the damage that that causes? God knows. Anyway, at this moment, I sat with the emotion and I was on the couch hugging a pillow like a child hugging a teddy bear. I'm nearly 40. I've no shame in this. I'm saying it out loud. I have no shame in this. And I hugged that bloody pillow and I bawled my eyes out. And why was this? When I got down to it, which is, it's even challenging to talk about it now because the emotions come up. But why was it that I didn't want to go? There's definitely an element of, of change. There's definitely an element of, um, like, when I, I remember when I was a kid, I did not want to go on holidays. There was something about the safety of the structure in my life. There was something about the safety of I knew what was going to happen every day that I, didn't, I was afraid to leave that. And you think for a comedian that I'd be well used to this by now. I mean, this year alone, this is the second time I've gone to the States. I've been in Dubai... I lived for a month in Scotland. I've been in the UK, in, in London, as well as pretty much most nights of the week, or certainly three to four nights of the week, I'm on the road somewhere else in the country, on the island of Ireland. So you'd think, as a comedian, that I would be well used to this. But for some reason, it might be the winter, whatever it was, I did not want to go, and I was not excited about going to New York. And why was that? Because when I finally admitted it to myself, when I finally said it out loud, the truth was, I did not want to leave my daughter. Now, I've done a very good job of communicating that without getting overly emotional, because that was not easy to say. Now, why is it that I don't want to leave my daughter at this particular point? I mean, I've done it plenty of times before. I think there was something about the time difference. Actually, now that I'm saying this to you guys, I know exactly what it was. Because since the pandemic, which was which is like a kind of a real change in all of our lives. But before the pandemic, I was kind of away a lot anyway. And that was kind of normalized. And my daughter was a baby at the time, so she didn't know any better. But then in the pandemic, she definitely got very used to having her parents around all the time. And then things changed the pandemic where she started going to preschool. So she did two years of preschool pretty much in the pandemic. And I do remember that being stressful for her because you're going into other environments where you're used to the safety of your own home. And then as in the pandemic, I also became part of the routine of everyday life, daily life, which I got very used to. And then since she has started big school this year, she's in junior infants in school, it was my time with her every morning as much as I can to be bringing her to school every morning. We'd have our chats, 
and as much as I could as well, I would try to pick her up from school as well, as much as I could. And uh, I did not want to leave that. Isn't that amazing, though? Like, it's not something that uh, I think I, I can see as a, a weakness or something in myself, but it's not really, is it? It goes to show you what's important in life. When you have, like, the opportunity that I had to go to New York City. Like, when I started out as a stand-up comedian, that was a dream. That was a dream to one day think that I could go to New York and be a comedian. When I started out and I was single and I didn't have the responsibility of being a father, I was like, I'd love to be a a US comedian or a New York comedian. And that was uh, the dream for me. And it's funny how things change, you know? Now I'm in a place where... Again, I said I had a very special week in New York, so let's not lose focus of that. I had a very special time. But the reality was, the day before, I did not want to go. And it's funny how life changes, isn't it? Because all of a sudden, I would much have rathered to stay at home, bring my daughter to school every day, do her homework with her, practice her writing, all the things that we do, help her through the challenges that she's going through in life at the moment. I did not want to leave her. Which is nuts. I mean, I'm sure there's people listening going, are you fucking mental? You're going to go to New York. You know? You're getting to live in Manhattan for a week. You're getting to perform in comedy clubs that you dreamt of. But it's funny, isn't it? How life changes and you start to see, or you start to shift, your perspective shifts and the things that are important to you start to change. So, understand that I had a really, really, really special week. But let me tell you, the truth is, I did not want to go. One of the things I love about New York City is that when you land and you get on that air train, it's not long until you're on the subway and it feels like you're in. You're in straight away. You're in New York. You switch at Jamaica to get on the subway to get at, not Jamaica, by the way, the country, obviously, the station called Jamaica in Queens. But it doesn't take you long to get there from the air train, it's only a few minutes on the air train, you're in Jamaica, you switch for the subway, and you are in. And the subway, I don't know, is there any more of a New York vibe than the New York subway? Especially where it is, it's in, you know, it goes through Queens, it goes through Brooklyn, and man, do New Yorkers come alive on the subway. It really is an amazing place. I'm pretty sure I get on, place is full already, it's like it's not the end of the line at all place is full already, you get on the carriage and you're, you're in straight away, New, New Yorkers being New Yorkers, like arguing with each other across the, uh, across the carriage, two guys were arguing about Kanye as soon as I got on, you know, that first thing, and it wasn't until a few stops later that I realised that they don't even know each other, they were just getting into it about Kanye, one guy is just rapping full on, out the window, looking out the window, that when, when the doors open, people are coming on and he's just rapping in their faces, I couldn't hear what this other guy was saying who was sitting across from me wearing what looked like a full priest's outfit. I say outfit because I don't think he was a priest. And another gentleman comes on who's like topless. He's got his hair dyed blue. And it looks like the guy in the priest's uh, uniform type thing is selling him something or trying to get him to do something. I don't know. I've got my earphones in. And all of a sudden, then the two of them are looking at me and pointing to me as they're talking. I'm like, what the fuck's going on here? Am I going to, you know, (laughs) I didn't know what what was going on, but... Sometimes in those situations, you're better off playing dumb. 
so there's all sorts of characters coming on uh, the um, the subway, and as you go through Queens and then Brooklyn, you can feel the vibes. You can see all those um, all the different boroughs and the way that they work and the different kind of way the streets work when you're in different uh, boroughs. That part of the subway is great, actually, because you're not underground. So from Jamaica all the way into Manhattan, you're overground for the whole time. Literally until you get to Manhattan, and then it goes underground. And uh, it was great. And you come, you, we, we go over the Williamsburg Bridge, and where I was staying was literally just at the end of the Williamsburg Bridge. So as you're coming over the Williamsburg Bridge, you get to see all of Manhattan. You can see the Brooklyn Bridge, the Manhattan Bridge, all the, um, uh, the Hudson. You, see, you kind of see New York. You see the... Um, the Empire State Building. It's quite a view coming in when you're coming straight from the airport. It's quite impressive, you know. And it's a vibe, you know. But there's a tension. Now, I don't know if um, if it's just the, the general tension of living in a big city. Part of the thing that I really loved about living in London, and it did take me a year to get used to, is that there's, there's an air of anonymity when you live in a big city like that. Now, coming from a country like Ireland, lots of people might hate that because one of the things that people do like about living in Ireland is walking down the street and lots of people knowing you and saying hello and, you know, where everybody works, lives, etc., etc. On the other hand, lots of people hate exactly that same thing. People knowing your business. Depends on the community, you know? Depends on what community, community that you're in. But the beauty of places like London and New York, and as I said, when I was living in London, it did take me about a year to get used to. I began to love the anonymity. I love that no one gave a shit about me. Because you kind of feel a little bit of freedom in who you are and what it is that you want to do. New York definitely has that tension. When you're getting on the subway, like no one's making eye contact, there's no friends, there's no kind of like, uh, you know, there they wouldn't be quick, for example, to get up and leave somebody, have a chair, like I did that for somebody, and it, like, they, it, it, it all seemed a bit off. People were like, what, what, what's he doing? You know, giving someone, giving someone the, um, his chair. But there's something cool about that as well, because at the same time, while it can seem cold, it can seem cruel, there's a nice thing about it that it kind of drives you to kind of do your own thing. People are in New York to make it there, because if they do, they can make it anywhere, as the song goes. So it was amazing, uh, that, 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 that feeling at the start. I arrive... Um, tired, don't sleep on planes on the, on the old long-haul flights. It's, t- it's tough when you're a tall individual like myself. And uh, we get there, and I am staying with the one and only, the wonderful Hannah Burner, who was so, uh, such a great host. She was so kind. Um, Des was not there. He was away doing shows in Vegas. Um, and Des and Hannah have crazy lives um, in comparison to... I mean, it's quite normal over there, I suppose, but, you know... In the time that I was there, I think I saw Des for 24 hours, maybe just a little bit more, because in the time, the other times that I was in New York, from one weekend to the next, he was in Vegas and then in Dallas doing shows. So they fly in and out doing shows. It's crazy. It's madness, you know? Um, Hannah the same. I know she was in Atlanta, Georgia. I can't remember the other place that she was in. So they just fly in and out of New York City, (laughs) you know? But Hannah was amazing. So I was hanging out with Hannah for the first two nights. Um, Des wasn't around. She brought me out for dinner on the first night, and um, 
and it was great crack. I love the energy. Like, it, again, it's a thing that over here we can criticize Americans for it, but at the same time, there's something just great and something uh, gives you good energy about the get up and go of, of Americans, New Yorkers. They're just like, yeah, let's just do it, you know? She didn't even ask me, do you want to go for dinner? It was like, right, we're, uh, she, she talked about we're going for dinner, my friend might be joining us, and all that. I was like, I said, you know, who's we? And she's like, you and me. You know, it wasn't even a question. We're going for dinner, you know? Because I would be very much a person like, oh, no, I don't want... And I'll think of the 10 million excuses to not do it. And to be honest, I was probably feeling... I definitely was... I don't know if I'd say anxious, but, you know, a feeling of anticipation about the shows that I was going to have to do the next couple of nights. I didn't know how I was, go- how I was going to go down there. I didn't know how I was going to be able to make my material work over there. So that was constantly in the back of my head for the first couple of days. But Hannah's great. You just get stuck in. You do it. Again, I wasn't supposed to do a show on the Monday night, but I wake up to a text on Monday morning from Hannah, and it's the lineup for the show that she is hosting that night in the Stand Comedy Club, and my name is on it. I'm like, uh, so I'm doing a gig, is it? Uh, do I? And, you know, she didn't even respond to it. And then I was kind of like, uh, do I? Uh, oh, th- thanks for putting me down in the gig, kind of sarcastically type of, you should have asked me first type of thing. And she was like, yeah, what, you don't want to do it? If you don't want to do it, it's fine. I was like... Later that night, I was like, um, yeah, I should, uh, I should have just embraced that and done it. And um, you should have seen her face. She was just like, yeah, you know, <laughs> just get on with it, dude. You know, just do it. Which obviously loads of other people would kill for such an opportunity to play at the Stan Comedy Club. So, um, so I went and I did the first show. And the Stan Comedy Club is crazy. If you've ever been, I mean, go check it out, but I have never seen a comedy club like it. I've never, I've been to like somewhere like Shoreditch House, which is a private members club, not on my bloody card, on on other people's uh, thing. And that's what the Stan Comedy Club is like, swanky. Like, huge, gorgeous pizza oven. The bar behind has loads of lovely, like, fancy whiskey and tequila bottles and all that kind of stuff. You walk in, it does not feel like a comedy club at all. It's high class. Which is maybe for Hannah and her ladies because they are high class and her audience is by self-confession and as she would describe it, they would describe themselves as rich white girls. So it's a different audience. Not necessarily an audience that are huge comedy fans. They're huge fans of Hannah and her podcast. So for a lot of them, I felt like it was their first time kind of going to a comedy club. So they didn't really, you know, they weren't comedy fans. They wouldn't have necessarily known what the vibe was. And I did notice because she was hosting the show. So the, the, the idea was it was like Hannah Burner and Friends. So she was hosting it. And I definitely felt that they were all watching her as opposed to getting involved in the comedy. They were all just sitting there going, oh, my God, it's Hannah Burner. You know, that was the vibe, <laughs> which was kind of funny, really, you know. And uh, I definitely went up and I wasn't sure if they were uh, going to... Uh, understand what I was saying and definitely the first few quips and stuff that I had I was like oh that's not landing or they don't trust me or it took me a moment it definitely took me a moment but then I got stuck into it and it was fine I started they started to get me and it started to click and I was able to definitely you're kind of thinking on your feet in that situation because you're you're changing routines as you're up there and it's not something that you can pre-plan too much I definitely pre-planned what I was what the routines I was going to do and what I was going to say but you have to think on your feet up there because you don't know what way everything is going to be received now to a to a degree that's just being a stand-up comedian in general anyway you have to be ready for every audience and the way every audience is going to take something But when you're dealing with such a different culture and a very specific part of the culture, like her audience, as I said, rich white girls, I don't have a lot in common with them. (laughs) 
<laughs> I grew up on a council estate in Cork, okay? <laughs> they weren't sure what to make of my impersonations of my Latina mother. They were like, is that, is that racist? Am I, are we allowed to laugh at that? I don't know. Because they're a very different vibe towards Latinos over there, for example. But we got there. We got on board. It was great fun. I got to hang out. Uh, I got to meet some cool people. I got to meet Ari Shafir. Maybe lots of you guys don't know Ari Shafir, but he was upstairs as part of a, a, a live recording of a podcast upstairs, which was the complete opposite vibe to the crowd downstairs. So Hannah's crowd were the rich white girls. Upstairs was a podcast called Legion of Skanks. And that was basically, um, look, that's what they, they all call them, the, the alt-right, kind of like they're all... You know, there was, oh yeah, they seem to be able to smoke uh, marijuana in there as well. They have the spent special ventilation system in there. So there's lots of uh, weed smoking going on. Uh, and so all these guys have got pink eyes, but they're all like cheering like, Legion of Skanks, Legion of Skanks, you know, that type of vibe. And um, every cliche that you can think of of, uh, of American dudes, basically, of Trump wearing hat type people. Um, I don't know if they're Trump supporters or not, but that was the vibe, you know. So it was interesting to see on that very first night that it was just such opposites of American culture. And what you will, what I've kind of, um, how would I say it? What I observed over my time in New York is, and we all know this from, from we, we consume a little bit of American media, but we're very, we are very conscious of what is going on over there. And they are very conscious of what is going on over there. They don't really know a, a lot about what's going on outside of there. It is a very insular thinking society for sure. That was my 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 um my experience of it over there. But there and within that, very clear polarization, very clear teams as to who's on what team, if I can put it that way. Which in a you know, I I tried not to judge it, you know. I tried just to kind of watch it and kind of um see the differences and see why everyone is coming from from the positions that they are coming from. But um, it was interesting, you know, it was just interesting to watch that. And then what you see is that because of the polarization and the very specific ways of thinking over there, everything is very categorized. That means that the thinking and the art that is produced, therefore, becomes quite a product of the way that the nation thinks within specific categories. Now, again, I want to say this. I'm not saying this out of any uh, sort of judgment because it's a product of the, of the structure of the society. I mean, there's an argument to be had that, like, it, the idea of the United States cannot work to the level of democracy that they all want. Like, what was going on there, um, for me, is not democracy. When you really break it down, and I've watched enough documentaries, and I've read enough literature, and I know the structure of how the voting system works over there, for example, for, for to, to, to say a word like, that's not, that is not a democratic country. To me, it's not democratic, because every vote does not count. But anyway, that is another... Um, conversation but for me a country with the size that it is you kind of do have to you should you know break it up into smaller countries in order for it to be governed in a more democratic way anyway i could go on about that the next night i was in um the new york comedy club as part of the irish lineup that um ireland's funniest and that's why uh, i was originally over there and katie boyle invited me over for for that a New York comedy club could not be more opposite to the stand it felt more like a comedy club it's a tiny um venue as in the the entrance to it is kind of like very tight very small you walk down a narrow corridor and you go into the back room which is a gorgeous i mean it's probably the perfect comedy room really 
probably seats if it's full, maybe 200 people. I could be wrong there, maybe a bit less. It's the perfect shape. It's got the wall at the back. It's like the iconic New York Comedy Club, basically. And it was wonderful. And thank you if you're listening from the audience that were there. It was great fun. And I had great crack on that night. I was able to mess around a lot more, be a bit more loosey-goosey, and kind of change up the routines up there, and felt a lot more comfortable on stage and had great fun. Having and, and Katie was fantastic and well done to all the like lots of Irish comics that are based over there that I don't even I didn't even know existed Aaron McCann a guy from Oma in Tyrone who's uh, kind of between uh, Northern Ireland and there who's doing great for himself a fantastic young comedian um, people like that you know that I was like wow this is kind of cool you kind of met people imagine having to go to Oma to meet somebody for you know sorry going to New York to meet somebody from your own bloody country you know <laughs> we're on the like we're not that far away from each other but a brilliant young comedian. And you got to see the guys that have been over there for a long time. Like Katie's over there eight years. Um, Sean Finnerty's over there. I think he said 12 or something like that. So these guys are working comedians over there. They're doing it full time. It's, it's crazy. You know, it's, it's, it's just, I mean, it's brilliant, you know. I just found it fascinating. And it was a great night. However, I was glad at that point to be done with the gigs and not be thinking about it. Because it is a little bit about work. And I wanted to have a few days to myself over there. And man, did I have that. It was fantastic. Um, the next night, by the way, I went to the Comedy Cellar, the iconic Comedy Cellar with Des Bishop. But wah, wait till you hear about that. Thank you very much for listening to this week's episode of Hello Steve-O Podcast. If you would like to support the podcast and keep it going, please do by clicking on the link in the description to this podcast and you can support me for only the price of a coffee. I really appreciate your support. Thank you so much. And now let's get back to the show. So on the Wednesday night, Dez has gotten back from Vegas and we do some hanging out and he brings me on a lovely walk down around the south of Manhattan and get to see all the changes that are going on down there. Um, it was it was nuts. It is kind of mad to be walking on the water down there and to see, to be underneath the Brooklyn Bridge, the Manhattan Bridge, the Williamsburg Bridge, and you look up at these things and go, how did people build them? It's, it is mind-blowing. Like, I know, well, actually, it's funny, it's, uh, you know, Tez and I have been in, in a couple of situations recently where you're kind of in awe of something. Like, on the drive out to Clifton, the mountains in Connemara, as you go out to Clifton, breathtaking you get the way that the roads go you're literally at the foot of a mountain and it's just nature imposing itself on top of you it is mind-blowing it is kind of it's weird to, to say that you can feel you can feel the fucking earth uh, in a different way it, it, it was amazing but the same for for, for the man-made things like the Williamsburg Bridge the Manhattan Bridge and the Brooklyn Bridge knowing how long ago they were built that you go how did people do that how did people build these things they were so impressive. And we walk around the whole south of Manhattan there on the water. Beautiful um, uh, area, but a real mix. And that was my experience of New York, was that you, you saw a lot of that area that was gentrified and it would, you know, used to be fish markets or there was the famous pier down there where the immigrants would come in and they, you know, they were checked and whether they could be passed into America or not uh, happened down there in Manhattan uh, on, the south, uh, on the south of the island there. But now, obviously, you know, it's cool. The fish market is now a cool shopping center or there's cool offices there. Or who's, I saw a big company, a big corporate there. I don't think it was Apple, but it was, it, HBO, I think, had, had studios or had offices down there or something like that. But, um, so it was, it was, it was a really lovely, gorgeous area, but a big part of Chinatown is down there as well. And, uh, 
what, but what was interesting, you see all these beautiful buildings, you see the old historic creations that man has made, like the bridges and stuff like that, and then you see the new buildings that, uh, that are man-made as well, and you see the wonder of this city that it is New York, and you can really feel it. But then you have some fellow wearing three coats pushing a trolley, and his whole life is in that trolley, and he's just staring at traffic, and there's another guy there who's just lit up a joint. And there's these little pockets of people who are definitely struggling with life. And that contrast is all over New York, especially when you go to the subways at nighttime. Since the pandemic, they've said that lots of people have begun living down there. And there's a couple of times at nighttime where I went down and you could feel the tension. You could feel that you weren't necessarily safe, that you had to be on your toes. And you could see people that were really struggling with life. And it's a different type of, they don't like to use the word homeless in New York. They call them the unhoused now, which is apparently the politically correct terminology. Whether that makes any difference to or not, to those people or not, I don't fucking think so. But these people are mentally, and I don't say this in a disparaging way, mentally broken. And what I observed in my whole week there was that there was, they were all men from what I saw and they were all men of a certain age, basically around my generation and older, 30s, 40s. And they're mentally broken because they're pretty much saying that. They talk to themselves aloud they have conversations with themselves aloud. You take out your earphones for a moment to listen to them. And I heard one man at the end of my carriage aloud to himself going, I'm in the wrong fucking tax bracket, man. And he goes to the door. And when the door doesn't open quick enough for him, he shouts, open up, I'm VIP. Later on that night, Des and I went to the world-famous Comedy Cellar. That was a special uh, moment for me because that is the iconic New York comedy club. And Des is passed at the cellar, which is an honor. It's a rite of passage for any good comedian. You don't just get into the cellar. You have to be passed. You have to essentially audition. You have to essentially perform until the booker passes you. And then you get on the books and you can get some, you can get some spots. From what I heard, there's around 75 shows go on in the Comedy Cellar's venues over the course of a week. And it's amazing. So Des and I drove up there. We walk up to the cellar. And it was so cool. Like, Des is like the man there. He's, you know, getting the fist pumps and the, you know, the, uh, the pats in the back. And he brings me first to the Village Underground venue, which is fantastic. It still has the same background as if you were to see it on TV or on YouTube. Um, it's, it still has the same background as the original Comedy Cellar, but it's just a bigger venue. There's a couple of hundred people can fit in there. There's servers flying around, giving chicken wings out and, and all that kind of stuff and all the food. There's a cool band that are get, hyping up the vibe. And it was just great fun. It was a great buzz. Honestly, just sitting there, regardless of the comedy, just being in that space for me as a comedian was pretty special. So we went to the Village Underground first, and Des and I just sat and watched the comics. We got to meet all the comics that were going up because we sat in the comedian's area. 
and then somebody didn't turn up. So, so Des was doing supposed to do a show in the original cellar up the road, and somebody didn't turn up. So they're like, Des, can you get up? And he was like, yeah, no problem. He kills it, of course. Does a lot of his uh, China material because uh, he can speak Chinese on stage, and he finds he, in New York you're always going to find some Chinese people in the audience. So it was great crack. He was brilliant. And then we walk around the collar to the, around the collar, around the corner to the original cellar venue, and we go upstairs to the Olive Tree Bar or restaurant, sorry, which is very famous. You hang out there, you eat, and then you can go downstairs to this tiny room, which is the original comedy cellar, which is the iconic venue. So I go down and watch Des' set there, and I watch some other comics, and then we hang out, hang out upstairs, and we eat our dinner. It's like I feel like a New York comedian, get to meet people like Todd Barry, Michelle Wolf, all these people flying around. And Des keeps saying to me, have you not met this guy, Mark Hayes? He's an L.A. comedian, but he's from Cork. I was like, what? How do I have never heard of this fella? Anyway, Mark Hayes comes in, and I'm like, what the fuck? It's like I've known this guy all his life because we speak the same language. It's just like we were on a shorthand straight away because he's from Rochestown and Cork there, boy. <laughs> what a character. So another Irish comedian who is like working as a comedian in the US that you know we haven't heard of over here. He's based out of LA and he kind of works between LA and he pops up to New York sometimes. Man, he was great crack. It was funny to, to meet a guy like that. And then, of course, the inevitable happened where Des went to go down to the toilet he sends me a text and he goes, Chappelle is here. And I was like, what? I went to, the restaurant is empty. I went to go and try look downstairs, but I wasn't, uh, I didn't even bother because it was, the whole stairway was filled full of fucking comedians watching him. And he subsequently was, he was rehearsing his Saturday Night Live monologue, which subsequently went uh, on YouTube and became quite a controversial um monologue i'll put the link to that in the description of this podcast so you can watch it watch it because he talks about kanye and the problems the the anti-semitic issues that were going on with what kanye has been doing the last while and Chappelle goes up and takes it on straight away as Chappelle does whether you agree or disagree i did enjoy when i watched i did enjoy the writing of it not saying i necessarily agree with every moment of it but i thought it was great writing i thought it was a great uh, performance, nonetheless. But that's the kind of things that can happen in the comedy cellar. Louis C.K., Dave Chappelle, Bill Burr, all these people, Jerry Seinfeld, Chris Rock, they can just drop in at any minute. Dave Chappelle and I were in the same bloody building. It was pretty, uh, it was pretty epic. And that, I have to say, was the most special uh, evening of my whole time there. And later on that night, I ended up in, in a diner, which I feckin' love, on 6th Avenue in the early hours because you can just hang out in the comedy cellar till all hours and eat and they serve food and drinks till all hours so you can just hang. And uh, I go to this diner on 6th Avenue and I'm kind of sitting there and what I notice is that it seems all the places I went to, it's the Latinos that are running all the restaurants. They're the ones doing that work. They're doing the donkey work in the, in the, in the early hours of the morning. I think it was like 1 or 2 a.m. And that tension again. Sitting down, having a cup of tea. It's quiet. The news is on the background. And this guy comes in who's definitely angry. And he just starts threatening the staff constantly. But they still serve him, which I thought was amazing. The whole thing was normalized. As I was asking the guy for the check, I hear 
the man, the angry man saying to another waiter, how about I stick this fork through your fucking eye? And no one bats an eyelid. They just carried on like it was completely normal. I think one of the most important things I took from that week had nothing to do with New York itself. It had to do with the importance for me personally of having some space and some time. I realize how I I don't do that enough for myself. And actually, I mean, I could have done that anywhere in Ireland just to give myself a few days to myself to have the space and the time. My parents are very interesting at doing uh, things like that on the regular. Like, I know this sounds like hell to a lot of people, but my mother's been on plenty of silent retreats. I mean, to be honest with you, we're all grateful for it. (laughs) But there's something about the space and time to yourself, the space to be with your thoughts, because we do run around too much. Yeah, I'm on my own a lot with my comedy work, but it's always work, work, work. Get this done, get this done, get this done. And I'm not giving myself some space and some time, some space for my thoughts. And of all the places to go for some space and some quiet and some time, you think New York City is the last place that you want to go. But because Hannah was kind enough, I had an apartment to myself in Manhattan. So I had plenty of time to write, to think, and to not be under any pressures. And while I was absolutely heartbroken to not want to be away from my daughter, I probably needed time away from my family, for myself, in order to be able to come back and be the best version of myself that I could be, certainly for the next while until I need another bit of time again for myself. I learned a lot about myself. I've not got into it much here on the podcast because that's... A lot, and it's processing a lot, but I've been personally going through a lot in the last two to three months. And it's difficult stuff to process as well, you know. Um, And maybe I will one day get into it a little bit on the podcast, but I think some things that you're going through are private. And I've definitely learned in the past that sometimes bearing it all out there into the world is not a good thing to do. We do live in a culture and in a time where it's like, it's good to talk. Yeah, but it's also, as my therapist once said, good to shut the fuck up sometimes. (laughs) It is good to talk, but I think it's the quality of the talk that matters as well. And this podcast is made to entertain, to make you laugh, or to um, tell you a story. But it's not necessarily the place to be able to share the personal stuff that I'm, that I'm going through, especially because I am going through it. It doesn't make me an expert on the specific things that I'm going through. For example, there's lots of people out there who talk about mental health all the time, but Nobody, it seems, is an expert about mental health these days. There's a, Even the top people in psychology or psychiatry are learning a lot every day. Yet we have lots of celebrities. If you've seen my show, you'll have seen me talk about this on stage. Celebrities out there talking like they're experts because they've gone through something. Just because I've gone through something doesn't mean I'm the expert, doesn't mean that I can... or talk about it or articulate it properly 
and doesn't mean that it's a good thing for me personally to do. Yes, I do have to talk about it and articulate it, but I do that in the right place. And I will say I am feeling a lot of support from the people who do know what it is that I'm going through. And I'm very grateful for that. And New York, for me, was about having space and time just for me. And I learned a lot about myself. And I was very proud of myself with the amount of thinking that I was able to do, with the amount of changes I was able to make in perspective. And that is something I took away from the last week, that it is important to get out. It is important to leave the everyday. And my upset of of leaving my everyday the night before I left for New York was maybe a sign that I really had to do it, that I really had to be taken out of my world in order to be, be given some perspective on it. And New York was, a, or the US even, was a really interesting place to go because it gave me a perspective on there as a country of all the things that they are going through as a nation, the need for more empathy and more love in this world. Couldn't, couldn't be more clear than in a country like US or a city like New York when you see the contrasts of stars like Dave Chappelle to the man talking to himself on the subway to the, the boys who are running the diners and being threatened with a fork through their eye. New York is the city that if you can make it there, you can make it anywhere, as they say, but there is consequences for the majority who don't inverted commas, make it. And let's be honest, everybody. What the fuck does that mean anyway? What is making it when you don't even want to leave your own house to go to this brilliant city because you have such love for your child? What is making it then? You know? But if I hadn't left... If I hadn't gone to observe the wonder of New York, and it is a wonderful place, but it's a wonderful illustration of the human condition as well and the the challenges that we all go through as societies, it has both extremes. It has the highs, the ecstasy of the highs, and the trauma of the lows. And both, to me, are as important as the other. They're both as important as the other one. It was important to have that perspective. And I tell you what, the country that I live in, in Ireland, we are going through challenging times ourselves, but it did give me perspective to be grateful for the country that I am from. Of course, we make lots of bloody mistakes. Of course, we're going through challenging times at this moment. But also, you know, faraway hills are green. Isn't that what they said? It's important to leave so I can have perspective on my life here. It's important to physically move so that I'm physically and mentally challenged in, in the places that I go in the world. But it also gave me perspective on this wonderful little country that we have here. And we should be proud of ourselves. We should be proud of the little country that we have here. We have to make improvements. We've got to be better, yes. 
But we are a wonderful little country and we are a massive influence, a huge influence on, on places like New York. And you mention Ireland to anyone in New York and there's respect. There is respect for Ireland and that's pretty cool. So there you go, ladies and gentlemen. That was my very special week in New York. Listen, it's difficult to be able to pack a whole week of a life in New York City into a podcast that goes, you know, I mean, it, you know, I'd have to do a week long of a podcast to really get into everything. Um, I'd love to have some New Yorkers on sometime, and I probably will, to chat about it, uh, the, the dynamics of the, the city a little bit more. But it was a special week. And the lessons that I did learn, the things that I was able to take from... Um, my time in New York were actually just life lessons that I could have learned in any city, you know? And uh, I was just very grateful to have that time there, the space and the time. I hope you enjoyed this week's episode of Hello Steve-O Podcast. That's it for this week. I'll see you again next week. Thank you for all the lovely messages and do support the podcast by clicking on the link to buy me a coffee. Send me a message on Instagram at the Stephen Mullen. You can email me on Gmail, hellostevopodcast at gmail.com. And what else is there? Yeah, sign up to the mailing list on www.thestephenmullen.com. Until next week, ladies and gentlemen, peace and love. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.